Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Welcome to another BritFlix.com podcast. My name's Stuart Wright, and today's guest is film producer Neil Jones. Welcome to the show. Hi, Stuart. Thanks for having me on. My pleasure, my pleasure. Now, just to give people a little sense of who you are, you've worked on many films, and I'm not going to try and list them all, but uh, a few have already featured on the podcast. So The Seasoning House, Eaten by Lions, The The Banishing, as well as BritFlix, the website, and the podcast, so the website, which does featurettes and stuff, Bonded by Blood 2, We Still Kill the Old Way, We Still Steal the Old Way. And more recently, Malika Smith's The Score, Sky Original, Last Train to Christmas, and the recent UK Netflix number one, Bank of Dave. Welcome, Neil. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Is there anything obvious that I should have said about what you've been involved with that you want to... No, no, I think that covered it quite well. Uh, My involvement in some of those films is very small. Um... And sometimes very big. So, no, that was a pretty good introduction. Well, we're going to do three films that have impacted everything in your adult life in a moment or two. Uh, But first, we're going to talk about a couple of your up-and-coming films. We've got Breaking Point and How to Date Billy Walsh. Before we go into any details about those, do you want to just give us a quick synopsis to what those two are about? Yeah, so, so Breaking Point is about two brothers who kind of drifted apart in life, if you like. Um, but the one love they have is breakdancing. One brother is kind of following through on that. He's part of a, a breaking group, and the other brother's kind of drifted away. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have like an alteration in a nightclub. They have a breakdancing standoff, if you like. They get noticed by a scout, 
And then they're invited to try out for Team GB for the Breakdancing World Championships. Oh, okay. And it's a, it's a really sweet coming-of-age story. Um, for breakdancing fans, it's, you know, it's probably the rocky of breakdancing, if you like. Okay. Lots of international breakdancers. What choice cuts have you got on there for, for the breakdancing fans? Oh, do you, do you know what? There's, I, I don't think I can talk too much about that side of it, yeah, but this, I think everyone's going to be very happy. Nice one, nice one. So what's what's How to Date Billy Walsh all about? So How to Date Billy Walsh is a kind of romantic comedy set at a, a high school, which we shot in uh, Yorkshire, the north of Yorkshire. Okay. And it's all about Billy Walsh, who comes over. He's an American art exchange student, the new kid, the cool kid on the block, and our kind of two leads, if you like, characters, Amelia and Archie, They've been friends for years. Archie's in love with Amelia. He's about to tell her. Amelia then sees Billy Walsh, and then she falls in love with him. And it's right. a whole, it's a whole then world around it. So very sweet film. Nice one, nice one. Well, look, let's let's stay focused on that one then. So for for those that don't, for, for those that want to know a little bit more about how films are made. So you as a producer, where where does this film start getting your attention? At what point do you get involved with this? So I so the production company is Future Artists Entertainment, yeah. and that's led by Matt Williams, um, who produced Last Trade to Christmas. Yeah, um, he did Twist for Sky. It was something I believe he pitched to Amazon as an idea. Mm-hmm. Um, Amazon loved the idea, and kind of from there, then script was developed. Um, then Matt obviously goes out to cast, etc., and gets people who he needs. My involvement, really, so I did Last Train to Christmas with Matt Williams, where I'd never worked with him before. Uh, Matt Wilkinson, the other producer on that, who was, who was the guy who I knew, if you like. Mm. Uh, we kind of worked on that together. We liked each other. Matt then said, I've got a breakdancing film. I need someone who can kind of handle the physical side of production, if you like. What do you think? And I looked at it, and I really liked it. And that was kind of where I started. And... It was a relatively quick one, really, in terms of turnaround. You know, some of these projects can take years to yeah. develop, and you know, sometimes they don't come to fruition at all. So, it was, a, one, so it was a fin- so it was a finished script then when you when you got involved. There was this was yeah yeah there was a draft. There was a draft that still needed work, but it was you know it was pretty much there. And you know, then Alex Pillai, the director, came on board. Mm. And he added his own flavor to it, and it was kind of set up, you know, relatively quickly cast kind of attached quickly. So mm. yeah, it was a nice one. It was a nice one to do. And it was, you know, they're never easy. Um, you know, I don't think any film is easy. And if it was easy, it probably wouldn't be worthwhile. And no, we'd be bottle it, it and great. sell it, wouldn't we? Yeah. Yeah, of course. And, you know, we shot half of it in Yorkshire. Uh, we were at a big school up in Yorkshire. And then we shot the other half in Manchester. We did a little bit at the old Granada studios in Manchester. Oh, really? So, yeah, it was it was a, it was a lot of fun, and you know it was great. And I, I weirdly, I, I saw the, the the final cut of it last week, and I, I'm excited about it. I think it's going to be excellent. Were you on location in Yorkshire then? Yes, yeah, so we were at a school in Yorkshire, um, just north of York. We were there for two or three three weeks, which comes with its you know logistical challenges in terms of you know there's no there's not many crew there. There's certainly no equipment, so everything has to be brought up. Everyone has to be accommodated. But we kind of had full run of this school, and it was just a, a lot of fun. And then I think the last three weeks, then we went on location in Manchester. We did a few days at Granada Studios, which is now called Versa. 
Mm. Um, yeah, it was a good, it was a really nice vibe, you know, really nice cast, the young cast, all very enthusiastic and excited. You know, we had Sebastian Croft and Charitha Chandran involved and Tana Buchanan, mm. who plays Billy, you know, from Cobra Kai. Yeah, yeah. And we had some really nice supporting cast, Lucy Punch, Nick Frost. So, you know, it's, it, it was a really exciting project. And what, what, out of interest then, what are the challenges there? Well, you've got a young, a predominantly young cast, but then you've got supporting cast who are kind of, I guess, for want of a better expression, are more celebrity than yes. than you. How do you balance sort of servicing the celebrity side of a film production with people who just need to be, for want of a better expression, just know what to do? <laughs> I think, do you know what? I think, you know, certainly, you know, Tana, he's got a pretty big profile from Cobra Kai and yeah. things. And, you know, Sebastian's obviously done Heart Stopper and Teresa was in Alex Ryder. So they were pros, you know, they were mm. young, but they were very professional. And, we, you know, we, we got lucky. Everyone was really enthusiastic about the, pro- the project. Everyone was excited to be involved in it. So mm. it was. it's not always the case, but on that project, it was just a case of, you know, everyone just came together and it was it was nice. It was a really nice project. And for those, for those obviously, that's everybody listening and me who uh, who weren't on set. Do you want to tell us a sort of a story from a kind of like one of those kind of times when there was a challenge that got resolved, you know, and it got resolved, and it was sort of a real sort of achievement from the every day, really. Certainly, you know, when I look after production, essentially, yes, yeah. every day there's a challenge, but they're usually really silly things, like you know, half of when you're on location and you've got you know 120 crew you know, all staying close to site. It's it's kind of trying to treat them as as well as you can and trying to keep them as comfortable as you can. And, yeah. You know, we had we had one occasion where, you know, we, we had this huge accommodation for crew and, you know, 4 a.m. in the morning, all the fire alarms go off. And, oh. You know, it's probably some, you know, somebody having a cheeky smoke in their, in their room out the window. And, uh, you know, you come down and you've got 120 people looking at you going, mate, we got to get up in two hours. Yeah. <laughs> And you, you know, I think most things are overcome by common sense, people being reasonable. Yeah. And and, and everyone just realizing. I th- look, I think if you work in film, I think or television, we're we're in a very privileged position, you know. We kind of get looked after quite well. We we kind of get paid quite well. And, you know, we're not saving lives as such. And I think as long as we all kind of understand that, then I think it's a much more enjoyable experience. Can you can you tell us maybe uh a favorite, a favorite day on set, or a favorite moment on set for you that you can that, that makes that warms the heart, as it were, when you think back on the production. Uh, do you know what? I think my favorite day. We, the, the director Alex, he liked to, we, we, he liked to use a lot of grip. So what I say by that, we had a lot of jibs and you know techno cranes. Okay. And, uh, we had one particular scene which plays at the beginning of the movie, which was quite an intricate kind of crane move, if you like. And mm. we had very limited time to shoot it, you know, as you do on these films. And it's kind of that moment where you see all the crane text there, the grip, the DOP, everyone's kind of very nervous. Can we get this in the time? And, you know, if we if we don't complete our day, it's yeah. not like come back with a very expensive techno crane the next day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we have to get it. And it, it kind of worked, you know, in the first couple of takes. And that sense of kind of, Relief, first of all, I suppose, is the first thing you feel. But then it's kind of like, you know, proud that this you know, this very difficult and quite expensive thing, which relies on, you know, absolute planning and precision works. And mm. 
And I think generally from, you know, a technical perspective in, in regards to filmmaking, I think that there's something very gratifying about that when you put so much thought and process into something and it, it kind of works. I'm just even when just with you saying 120 people on set, that's like a village. Yeah, it is. It is. It is. <laughs> Certainly when you've got to, you know, feed them and put them all up and yeah. You know, it's, you know, when you're in London or Manchester and Liverpool, you can, you kind of rap and they're no longer your responsibility until you see them at Unicall the next day. But <laughs> for certain location work, you, they're kind of with you. They're like, they're like your children for 24 hours, really, you know? We've not got the dates yet for release for these two films, but I will put dates in the show at the time of recording, which is right. April 2023. Uh, I'll put links in the show notes to coincide with the release when, when, we, when we know that. Um, but thank you for sharing that about the, about the bits about making of um, how to date Billy Walsh. But let us, without further ado, move into the main feature of the podcast, which is Neil Jones's three films that have impacted everything in your adult life. Now, before we get into it, I want to explain the rules to you and to the people who may not be familiar with the format. You've given me three films, which obviously makes sense given the title of the show. Um, and, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about those three films, but to make sure we don't talk about one more than the other, I have my alarm, which will sound like this. You can hear that at your end okay, Neil? Yeah, I've got it. Beautiful. So that, that, that'll go off when five minutes have passed. So we're going to talk about each film for five minutes at a time. There's always a little bit of wriggle room at the end, um, but, you know, you know, finish a sentence by all means. Um hmm. And to be honest with you, I'm usually the biggest rule breaker because what, maybe some of the things you've said, I want to ask you more. So, um, but but it just helps us balance the show out. So we at least give at least five minutes coverage to each film rather than fifteen minutes on one and then just tell you the titles of the other two. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, it does absolutely. Perfect. Now, am I doing? Uh, I'm going to ask this question because because I've I made this assumption on a previous show that the order they were given to me wasn't the order to speak to them. So. Am I doing it in the order you've given me the three films? Yeah, yeah, I think so, yeah. Because the guests that I had on presumed I was going to do them in date of release order, and I'm like, well, I, I, <laughs> I didn't know what stories are attached to each film. Um, nice. So I'm going to do these in the order you've given me, and without further ado, the first on your list is um, Oscar-winning, 1976, Rocky. Yes. So where where does that fit in the canon of Neil Jones watching films? How do you, how do you see this? For, how do you see it first of all? So I I think the three films I've given you are not necessarily my favourite three films, but the exception to that is Rocky. I think it's probably my favourite film mm. of all time. Um, and I think I was trying to think earlier today when the first time I saw it was, and I think like one and two kind of merged together. Um, but I'm pretty certain that it was probably at my grandfather's house when I was probably four or five, very young. Yeah. Um, we, I don't think I don't think I had a video at, at, at my parents' house at that time. Yeah. But my grandfather had a video, and you know, there, there was loads of grandkids, so like we kind of take it in terms to who gets to go over mm. and stay. And it would always be he'd go to a video shop called Aberdeen Video in Merthyr Tidville, where I'm from. Yeah. And, you know, I liked the cover. It was a guy boxing. I thought that's pretty exciting. Merthyr is kind of known for its boxing with all its champions. And I just loved it. You know, I just I just thought it was fantastic. It's, 
it's interesting. The 1970s is definitely my favorite decade of filmmaking. And, and obviously it's the 1970s films could be quite bleak and, you know, realism was kind of at the forefront. I think, yeah, of, yeah, yeah. of a lot of those. Characters. And, and, and Rocky kind of has all of those attributes, which I love, you know, almost feels like a documentary at times, uh, dark, you know, real characters rough around the edges, but it kind of did something which hadn't been done in, you know, quite a while in kind of mainstream cinema, if you like, is that it kind of had a happy ending, which is quite rare mm. for the, and, you know, even though he doesn't win at the end and, you know, thank God he doesn't, because I don't think we'd have believed it, but he kind of, he, he goes the distance. And I think there's, there's something quite noble. And certainly for me, like the underdog kind of maybe not winning, but having a good shot, I think, you know, I, I just really related to it. And, you know, the cast in the film itself, like, you know, just fantastic, you know, Tally Shire, Stallone, Carl Weathers, you know, everywhere. It's just perfect, in my opinion. And, you know, I know they may, I think everyone knows the story of Stallone trying to sell the script and then, yeah, you know, yeah, not, yeah. unless he gave up the part, he didn't. And then they made it very low budget at the time. And I just think that low budget quality of the film really enhances it. It does feel like a, you know, it does feel like a, a documentary at times. And yeah, because because him playing the lead, given like the kind of almost like exploitation films that he was, he would have been got his only experience in up to that day. Yeah, they don't they don't scream potential Oscar winner, do they? <laughs> no, no, and, and certainly he, he probably didn't scream leading man at all. And yeah, you know, I I know the the inspiration. There was uh, I think Muhammad Ali for Chuck Webner in 1975 mm. and Chuck Webner was a very similar Rocky character if you like a no hope uh, just wanted to kind of give a good account for himself and he knocks you know he knocks Ali down loses the fight and I think Stallone watches that fight and being kind of frustrated with his own career and then I think he just you know locks himself away and probably with a you know a pencil and a pad because you know no one had IMAX then and no 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 I just think it's remarkable and you know, there's so much about the film I love. Like, I'm a big boxing nut myself, and, you know, and, and everyone from my town is, really, and every boy in my town at some point probably boxed. And I just think the boxing, like, it's over the top, but you feel like you're in the ring, which is nice. What, what, do, you, what do you think it gets right, then, about boxing that maybe cinema doesn't always get right? I, you know, I, I think, like, you know, I think as the, as the Rocky films kept getting made, obviously, I think, reality became you know secondary far, far away yeah. <laughs> um, but and that's fine by the way I, I you know i've got a soft spot for all the sequels too yeah yeah but yeah. i think it does i think it's that we see him in the gym we see the the opening scene is him in the small hall boxing you know oh it's grim that isn't it that is a grim, it is grim and it's very true you know it's you know there, there's you know events all up and down the country now which you know yeah. small hall boxing and it, and it really is the, you know, the, the the lifeblood really of the sport. And I think it gets that really spot on. And there's a scene where Mickey, his trainer, says, you know, you could have been something, but you kind of blew it. And I think that's very realistic. You know, there's so many boxing gyms where there's very talented kids, like very talented kids who, you know, with the right attitude and maybe the right leadership and direction could probably go on and win titles. And, yeah. you know, life gets in the way and, and I think with the character of Rocky, I think life has got in the way, you know. And yeah, but look, I love it. I think it's fabulous. Yeah, I, th- I mean, just just to add that that you know after that 
just to give you that sense of the reality of being a, a sort of undercard boxer at the smallest kind of event, that first payment where him and his him and the guys just butted him and he's beaten him because yeah. he's got angry, which is obviously a good setup for where the film's going to go. Um, and the promoter comes in with the money and he goes, right, so it's 70, I can't remember the numbers exactly, but he just goes like $75. And then he goes, $15 for the uh, for the rent of the, the, the locker, $5 yeah, for yeah. this, and then he ends up giving him $40. And he's just, yeah. he looks like he's been through, he's been through the mill and you're like, Jesus, for $40. Yeah, yeah, he's going to split that. He's probably broke both his hands, you know. It, <laughs> you know, it, he probably can't work the next day. I, you know, and that, that's very realistic, I think, for a lot of small hall fighters, you know. But And he I says, he says come back thing. in a fortnight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, after your brain scan, come back. Yeah. <laughs> right then, sir. Moving swiftly along, but going back three years in time, we're going to be looking at Al Pacino, one of Al Pacino's. I guess is kind of where he gets noticed. I suppose more than like as a as a movie star. We're talking about Serpico. Yeah. So so Serpico was the film he did directly after the first Godfather. Okay. And I think it was. I think the same year he made a film called Scarecrow with Gene Hackman, which is also you know very good. Yeah. Like Serpico, so a little story. I, from the age of 17 to 20, yeah. I worked in a factory in Merthyr. And I always loved films, but I was kind of, you know, I was brought up in the 80s. So, I, you know, I loved Indiana Jones, Star Wars, and, you know, I watched the Van Damme films, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there was a lad that I worked with, Andrew Jones, and um, he was the first vegan I ever met. Wow. Um, yeah, yeah, in uh, in Merthyr, in this factory. And he was an interesting guy. And we just started talking about, you know, films and videos we watched as such. And I said, oh, you know, I, I'm trying to get into Al Pacino because I didn't really know Al Pacino as a kid because he kind of took that hiatus, if you like, after the revolution yeah. when he didn't work for years. And I saw him as the, you know, the bombastic version in Scent of a Woman and thought, wow, this guy's got a lot, a lot of energy. And I saw The Godfather and I was like, well, where's Al Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, 
planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Coriant.com. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Al Pacino, who's totally different actor, mm. um, he brought in Serpico on video for me to watch when I was about 17, and I took it home, and, and I'd never seen a film like it in terms of... I don't think a film has ever looked like New York like it does in that film. Like, it feels like you're there. It feels mm. you see all the seediness. If you feel like you're, you know, in the Bronx, it's that is definitely shot like a documentary. Obviously, Sidney Lumet, who directed yeah. what a director he is. And this is basically like anecdote after anecdote, I, I believe, in that film, really, where it's all on Serpico. You know, there's some, you know, there's some supporting characters, but there's no real subplot outside of him. And I really felt like I was watching a documentary on, on this cop, and it was so realistic to me. I think it's the first time I, I watched a film and thought of cinema as can really tell very realistic stories. It doesn't have to be, you know, the cop shoots the bad guy and wins. It's, you know, it absolutely blew my mind. And I, I think it's probably Pacino's best performance by far. And that's a big thing to say, say I know, but just... You've got, you've got, you've dealt it, that 70s thing of like, the good guys aren't always wearing badges is... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, the badges are the bad guys in it, except for Serpico. And I think it's, I think that film, it, it maybe doesn't get the attention of like a dog day afternoon, which is also fabulous. But I think Serpico is like the quintessential 1970s New York film, you know? I think it's that and French Connection. They just, they feel so real to me. So, what, from, from you at that point when you're in that faction and in, 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 uh, in Merthyr, and you're you obviously love you're loving film, but in fact you have a conversation going, I'm getting into opportunity. That's that's not the that's not the normal everyday chatter. Um yeah. so what does that where does that does that send you in how does that does that start to build in terms of you you're thinking, hold on a minute, this is what this is a world I want to be in? See, I, I think at that stage probably not. I think it was just more like a thirst for, you know, to see more films like that. And, you know, and I've always been a big reader as well, and I kind of you know. I think those ages of like 17 to 25, they kind of really shape, you know, your taste in terms of cinema and literature and music, yeah. if you like. So, no, I don't think it, I ever thought, wow, I want to go and kind of make this. It was more a case of give me more, you know, and, yeah. and he'd bring a video in every week. You know, he, he, the next week he'd bring in Boba Deerfield and then it would be Dog the Afternoon and Justice for All cruising. And I think in the space of like seven or eight weeks, Andrew Jones had basically given me Al Pacino's catalogue, you know, you know, and they're all recorded. They were, they were videos he'd recorded off television, you know? So really? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, fast forward the adverts. Sort of thing. I worked, I worked in a, in a, in a picture framing warehouse in Ancoats at the back of uh, Piccadilly train station um, in Manchester. Right. And there was a woman there used to tape stuff off probably Sky 
movies, what would have been just one channel. And there was yeah. a roaring trade she had. Yeah, I bet. I bet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, selling them on the pub on a Friday night, eh? So what was yeah. what so Andrew Jones, you say his name was, the guy, the guy you was you was getting you were he was giving you this film education, as it were, but yes. sort of what was your conversation like with him? Do you remember anything about what you said about Serpico to him when you when like when you've you've gone home and watched it and come back into work and gone, do you know what? Do you, no, do you know what? I'd probably go go in very. He was, he was quite a few years older than me, and I'd go back into work and be you know really excited, and you know probably one of the other lads would go. Oh, I've seen this boring, and you know we'd get into a heated debate. But no, he was he, Andrew would just go. Well, next week I'll bring in Bobby Deerfield or whatever, you know. And you know it was kind of like my kind of like an education for me. Really, it was fabulous. No, it sounds amazing. No, it sounds like a great a great colleague to find at work. Yeah, definitely. Right then, we're gonna we're gonna jump into the twenty first century for your final choice, um, Cameron Crowe's. I'm guessing it's a remake of Open Your Eyes, isn't it? Yes, uh, the yes. Spanish is it Spanish or, South, or yes, it's Spanish. Spanish? Not Chile. He's Spanish Chilean, isn't he? The the the, the yes. guy that made the original. Um, I'm talking about Cameron Crowe's then English language version, uh, Vanilla Sky, starring Tom Cruise in his kind of. This is kind of his dark period, isn't it? Because like Clatchel's not long after this, is it? Yeah, I think collateral is about four or five years later. Mm. But I think I think Crew's nineties and the early noughties, if you like, he he made a lot of great kind of character-led dramas, you know. Mm. And I can't I think he does them very well. And so Vanilla Sky, leading back to what you asked me earlier about did Serpico ever, you know, influence you to want to be a filmmaker? I think yeah, 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 yeah. Um so Vanilla Sky, so Cameron Crowe did had like a three-film run from you know, 96, I believe, Jerry Maguire. Hmm. Then almost famous in 2000, maybe 2001. Sure, the Genesis in my end. It sort of yeah. broke my heart as an aspiring music journalist at the time. Yeah, a fabulous, fabulous film. And then he did Vanilla Sky. Now, I think probably Vanilla Sky is probably, isn't as good as Jerry Maguire and almost famous. But I was living in America at the time. Um, and I was kind of in, kind of in a college thing there. And it was my first Christmas away from home. Ah, right. I was a proper homebody. Before I moved to America, I'd never been abroad. And I was staying at a friend's house in St. Louis, Missouri. And we didn't really have anything to do for Christmas. So I think it was Christmas Eve. We went to the cinema. And I don't think I'd even seen a trailer for it, if I'm honest. And it was showing. It's a Tom Cruise film. It's probably going to be quite entertaining. And the film absolutely blew my mind. I knew I'd never seen the original at the time. Knew nothing about it. And I think that, like, the first kind of 10 minutes of the film, you've got, you know, Radiohead kicks in for the alarm clock. It's just fabulous. And then you've got him running down Times Square and it's empty. And then it just takes you on this real kind of visceral dream, if you like. And, mm. and it, it absolutely blew my mind. And I think, look, I think the last act maybe is a little on the nose and, you know, a little hammy. But I just thought it was fabulous. It, I think it deals a lot of things. I think it deals a lot with, you know, the future, the worry of the future, your kind of vanity. Yeah. You know, your own, morti- your own mortality. Yeah. Yeah. You know, re- rejection. Certainly with the Cameron Diaz character. Yeah. You know, we've all been rejected in our life and have some empathy there. And the soundtrack, it just, it, it absolutely blew my mind. And, you know, I, it's probably not in my top 20, maybe not even my top 50 films. Hmm. But it had such an impact on me. And I remember coming out of that cinema and uh, 
you know, I just moved to the States at the time and I'd been in Merthyr all my life. And I thought, okay, I'm out of Merthyr now. Mm. This is the next journey of my, you know, the next impact in my life. Yeah. But he, while I was there, I didn't quite know what I was doing. And, and I was kind of looking for that next thing. And that really made me think. And it, it inspired me to write. Um, and I, I wrote some short stories as a kid, mm. but it made me want to write a script. And, I, and you know, I wrote lots of scripts and probably some of them I dread to read again, but uh, <laughs> it, it really had an impact on me. And I think it was all the, there's so many tones and so many kind of streams you can follow in that film. And I, I was coming on the train back from London yesterday. I live in Lancashire now. And, um, and I watched Vanilla Sky because I hadn't watched it for a few years and I knew we were talking about it. And even now it holds up so well, you know, and, I think it could be Cruz's best film, I think, as an actor. He's, he's really great in it. Well, he's got, he has a lot. I mean, it's kind of, he's got the range, hasn't he, with what happens to the character to be able to do a lot. In many, I mean, I guess, I mean, born on the 4th of July, he has to he has to go to the pit of his stomach in some in some senses with what he has to do in that film. But it is, yeah. you are starting with the man who's coming out of that confusion, whereas this is about somebody having what appears to be either a nervous breakdown or an existential crisis, one or the other, but you can't yeah. see it. So he's having yeah. to portray something that makes us understand it, isn't he? In the way that he, I mean, I don't know about you, but I thought, I thought rewatching it before speaking to you, um, the opening bit. I mean, they, they they say that you know when you go to sort of writing classes and uh, you know the don't start your film with waking up, you know, and going to work. Don't start yeah. there. I've never seen such a brilliant subversion of that trope as yes. as ending up in. A, a peopleless Times Square, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you, because everything. I mean, but but actually, just knowing what's going to happen, and you get that. What happens is that I'm guessing it's a helicopter shot, not a drone shot in that in that time period. Yeah, probably. The way yeah. they've edited it, it kind of judders. So knowing it's a, it's a dream as opposed to reality. Yeah, but, but actually not knowing it, it's that's a really clever way. Yeah, it's it, it. There's lots of things in it as well when you rewatch, like. When he's running down the, you know, Times Square, if you look very closely, you can see a reflection of people watching. Oh, and, and uh, I can't remember what I read it. I might, I might heard it on a podcast actually, where Cameron Crowe said that we saw it in the edit. We were like, oh, it wasn't intentional shit. But then he was like, you know what? Let's keep it because it adds to his paranoia and it adds to that. Is this a dream? Is it not a dream? Is someone watching his dreams? Is obviously how it. Freak, Freakin says if the audience are worried about a reflection, he, he was asked this question about one of his films. Right. And he said, if an audience is worried about the reflection of somebody that's not in shot, then I'm doing the film wrong. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think he's probably right. Yeah. I think yeah. so. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then you've got the, the lovely, I mean, if you know the Dylan cover, album cover, you feel clever for spotting it. But then obviously, because you think it's just, Clever filmmaking, Cam- Cameron Crowe music and all that. But then for it to have a, actually have a payoff in yeah. terms of it, you're not that clever at all. It's actually the mind of a man going mad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think Cameron Crowe always gives us payoffs, though. I think that, yeah. you know, he's not. I don't think he's the most subtle filmmaker, by the way, and I think that's absolutely fine, and I quite like, like that about him. And, yeah, he does. And, like, you know, I love that they shot it, like, you know, autumn or the winter, if you like. Because everything just looks like, you know, magic hour. You know, it's golden, mm. it's beautiful. And, you know, it's just a, it's a really great film. And I think I think if you can make a film in New York, which is probably an incredibly expensive thing to do, 
I think that if you can nail New York, then I think there's something automatically. It's probably the most cinematic city in the world. In my yeah. Opinion. I was going to say, from a, with, now looking at it with your producer's head on, can you can you even manage to sort of manage to budget the cost of shutting down Times Square for a shot? <laughs> yeah, do you know what? I, I have no idea, but, I, but I, imagine, I imagine it was seven figures at the time. I know? I think so. I think you're right. You no, know, and, and I think you know why not? If you can do it, if you have got the resources, then then go for it. And it's interesting with Vanilla Sky because I think people either love it or hate it. There's mm. no middle with it, and. I think some people maybe saw it as a bit of a kind of vanity exercise for crews, but I think it's so much more than that. And I think... Well, there's more Tom obvious Cruise, choices in films to pick, isn't it, if you're going to be vanity, if it's a vain thing? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I think, look, I think, like, the character David that he plays, I think why it's so relatable is because for the first 45 minutes of the film, this is basically Tom Cruise's life, right? That he's mm. incredibly successful uh, in incredibly charismatic, incredibly good looking, you know, can have pretty much anything he wants. So we go on that journey pretty easy with him. And then when it all kind of goes wrong for him, firstly with the disfigurement and mm. and losing, you know, the, the girl he's in love with, it's, <coughs> you go, okay, how are you going to deal with this now, Tom Cruise, you know? And and he and he does it remarkably. It's uh in yeah, a I way, in it. a way it can and this is where, it, where, where it's sort of I mean, it's. I guess if at a big level, it's a sci-fi. There's a sci-fi element to this because of yes, the the elements of what the future might bring us in terms of how we think about our how we look, how we how we how we age, and all that kind of thing. Yeah, but in some senses, it's like once he starts not being able to see what he can see, or isn't sure what he's seeing, when Penelope Cruz and Cameron Diaz are kind of flipping it out of, of what yeah. he thinks is reality, then in a way, it's a, it's borderline like horror like jacob's ladder is horror yeah yeah it, I, I definitely agree and i read somewhere that and i thought this was an interesting kind of thought is that vanilla sky is if steven spielberg did cameron crow you know what i mean i think that uh, was, yeah that's not a bad that's not a bad description it does yeah. have that kind of like sci-fi element and, and you are right it does it does get dark and you know weirdly when i rewatched it the other day that scene in particular with diaz and uh and Penelope Cruz kind of flipping, even that kind of, I don't know why, but it kind of had a bit of Chinatown about it. You know? Yeah, Where yeah, yeah. Kind of like, what is going on? It's, it's It disturbs you what's happening. And, you know, you kind of know what's coming, but you're kind of willing him not to do it because you, you feel for him. And, you know, Cameron Diaz also, I think she's brilliant in it. And, you know, Cameron Diaz in a film where she keeps getting rejected, like that in itself is remarkable. Right? Yeah, 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 exactly. exactly. I tell you, Thinking of that Spielberg comment, there was like there's there's the the first time you see the car crash going off the, going off through the railings and nose diving into the road below. Yeah, there's a really beautiful attention to detail which I don't think I'd ever spotted before. But again, watch rewatching it with the conversation in mind, I'm trying to think. Well, what can, what else am I seeing? Like, and I don't know if you if you can remember, but you the the, the camera holds on that moment like it doesn't go anywhere. It's the frame, you know, it's the classic mise en scene yeah. where nothing is moving apart from the the steam rising off a crashed car as you take in shit as he just died. Yeah. And then in the background, three silhouettes just start, yeah. obviously, you know, the public as it were have spotted the crash, which is yeah, all part of it. And, yeah. and then it cuts before they get anywhere near. Yeah. But I just thought that was a wonderful attention to detail in terms of making the audience believe yeah. that this is really happening. This has happened or, you know, or whatever else it gave, it gave it an authority. I think that, just the car on its own wouldn't have achieved, I think, maybe. 
and I agree. I, I'm weirdly, I noticed it when I watched it on the train yesterday as well. So uh, the third AD did their job that day. They yeah. did indeed. Well, look, uh, we've got to the end of your three films that have impacted everything in your adult life. I will, uh, I, for, for the films we previewed at the beginning, I will put links in the show notes and information about their release to work, to help people find them so they can watch them. And it just gives me to say, thank you very much for giving us your time on the Britflix podcast. Thank you, mate. And I've got a question for you, by the way. Um, what are your three? Oh, you see, you've asked me on air, haven't you? You're the first person yeah. to do that. Uh, mine are um, Smoking the Bandit, Time Bandits, and Friday the 13th. Oh, wow. Okay. Wow. Again, like you, they're not necessarily... I mean, Time Bandits is my all-time favourite film. Right. But if I hear we've got a long way to go and a short time to get there, the opening guitar, diddle and diddle of that, I'm, I'm, I'm stopping everything to watch Smoking the Bandit. Right. Right. And the fact they use the song about five times all the way through is all the better for me. Yeah, um, yeah. And Friday the 13th is arguably where I became a horror fan, I think. I mean, I I, I remember having nightmares because my babysitter allowed us as a kid to stay up and watch the Hammer House of Horror. So officially that would be the first one. But we had a bootleg VHS of Friday the 13th in the house. You know, my right. dad must have got it off a mate at work or something like that, you know. <laughs> And I watched it like an idiot, age 10. And I think, you know, the Jason scene at the end. Yeah. That was the bit. The, that, the supernatural element, me tell you, you know, the killing bit was obviously, was, was visceral. Yeah. But it was just, that's just frightening. But the idea that there was some creature that was just going to, that was, that was dead, that wasn't dead. I think from, I mean, that completely flummoxed me. Uh, no, 10, was it 10? Maybe 11. Um, right. Still, obviously, no way she's watching that film. And Time Bandits was it was um was a watch call. It was a Channel Four recorded off Channel Four, and I'm safe to say I think I've I've watched it over a hundred times. I think, and it never it is just the perfect film for me. When, you know, what, I haven't I haven't seen Time Bandits in a long time, so I'm going to revisit it now. So. Well, Arrow Arrow have got a lovely 2K Blu-ray. Blu-ray restoration of it. Oh, okay. And when they when they promote when they when they did that release a few years back, so I say few because I'm sort of forgetting COVID, but it's pre-COVID, so that's that's, um, ignoring the two years of COVID, as it were. Um, And Prince Charles showed it showed it on the big screen. So that was the first time I'd got in all the times I'd ever seen it. I finally got to see it on the big screen, and I still spotted something I'd never seen before, which I was just you know because obviously the big screen does something to film that. As much yeah. as if we'd be lying if we saw, if we say all our best films we've we've seen them on you know you, you were talking about the VHSs record off the telly I mean I've watched so many films in the wrong bloody aspect and black and white yeah. when the color and whatever you you just watched what you watched in the eighties and you watched yeah. it on what you were given you know we we live we're blessed in this age now aren't we where you can buy you know you can get HD bloody projectors for under a grand now can't you and you can have yeah. almost a cinema set up in your house but yeah so. Watching Time Bandits, adverts and all, off Channel 4, is something, I mean, I just, over and over, that was just, I, I, I don't think, I can't, I can't think of a more perfect film. And obviously, and also from a, for what was supposed to be aimed at kids, is such a bleak ending. Yeah, yeah. His parents die. I mean, yeah. that's, and, and you get, and, 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 the, and the knowing part of the film is Sean Connery's, one of the one of the fire officers. You're like, that's amazing. Yeah. 
So the yeah. guy he was most pally with during this mad journey through time turns out to be... So just to say, the bit I spotted that I'd never seen before, in the first camera pan of Kevin's bedroom, I'd never noticed the Napole- the short Napoleon test your height kind of thing on a kid's bedroom. Oh, wall, right. Which obviously the short right. Napoleon sequence is born out yeah. of that part of his memory. Right, yeah. Uh, like I said, I haven't seen it for a while, but I'll, I'll definitely revisit it. No, it's perfect. So thank you for asking. I'm, I was glad, I was I welcomed that invite. And uh, now you've done it, no one else can. <laughs> yeah. So I will repeat the uh, the end of the podcast. Thank you very much for giving us your time on the Britflix podcast. Thanks, mate. I enjoyed it. Thanks very much. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.